Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there it is. NBC News can project that former President Trump has now won the New Hampshire primary, defeating U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Hey, everybody. Welcome into a special edition of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And unlike Mike, not in a palatial hotel coming to you from Pennsylvania, I'm Nick Saveri. That's right. Palatial hotel, because that's what happens when you go on TV, Nick, to analyze a race that could have been called uh, days ago, weeks ago, months ago. Who knows? But joining us to break it all down, somebody who is steeped in New Hampshire culture, former executive director of the New Hampshire Republican uh, Party up there, advisor to Governor Chris Christie, he worked at the State Department, he's the president of Valcor, you too many jobs, Matt. Matt Mowers joins <laughs> us here on the show. But Matt, good to see you, buddy. Mike and Nick, thanks yeah. for hopping on with us. Yeah, you, you too, guys. No, appreciate you having me on, um, especially a, a big night for us up here in New Hampshire. I was uh, just with the New Hampshire Republican Party, actually, at uh, the goat, the the goat, uh, which is a bar in Manchester, and so uh, a lot of a lot of folks buzzing tonight, of course. So, Matt, let's get into that because you know I, I alluded to it and I joked about it, but you truly, you and I were talking a few weeks ago, and you truly are plugged into New Hampshire. And from all accounts, the early returns now are that the former president is probably going to win between eight to twelve percentage points here. What's your readout as you've been in the state for the last couple of days? Like, what's your readout on? Trump's victory, what you were hearing for voters, did this kind of go the way you expected or is it not a surprise to any of us? Yeah, you know, look, I um, wish I had written it down in text to some folks, but uh, what do you think is going to happen? I kept saying about eight to 12 and to, say, to hear you say that's kind of funny. Now, I will say the one surprise I had 
is that uh, I do think Nikki Haley's number is higher than most folks anticipated. If you looked at most of the uh, public polls that came out, she was polling somewhere in the mid 30s, high 30s. You know, a lot of us thought maybe she could get in the low 40s. Um, but for her to, you know, at the moment, I think she's hovering around 45 percent or so uh, to get into the mid 40s show. She really did consolidate and then energize a lot of voters to show up in this election. Um, you know, a lot of folks who, who truly weren't captured by the public polling. Uh, you know, we saw polls as recently as just the past few days where the sample was 47 percent uh, unaffiliated voters. So, you know, essentially an independent voter, a voter who chooses not to be part of the Republican or Democratic Party. Um, it looks like uh, we might be on track to almost being 50 percent. Um, you know, some of the exit polling is still being broken down right now. Um, so what it tells me is this. It, it shows that she uh, capitalized off of a clear lane as the non-Trump candidate. But at the same time, Donald Trump in a state where arguably he should be the weakest. If you look at it, you know, you have a popular Republican governor who endorses his opponent. Uh, you have an open primary where independents can participate in either primary. No active primary on the Democratic side because Joe Biden uh, skipped over the primary um, per DNC rules. Uh, you know, it shows that Trump still has some strength, even in some challenging states for him. But then it also does show a little bit of upside for Nikki Haley. I think she has enough tonight to uh, justify moving forward, justify calling donors and voters and telling them she's going to run into South Carolina uh, and, and continue to try to accumulate delegates and play a long game here. Matt, as you were talking about, I mean, let's talk about New Hampshire for a second. You know, when we think about New Hampshire politics, you know, the three of the last Republicans to win the New Hampshire primary all went on you know, to the general election. So obviously, New Hampshire has a pulse to the GOP. You know, in your just from the work you've done and what you know about the state, what makes up a New Hampshire Republican as opposed to perhaps at the national level, what we see in Florida, you know, obviously what's going on right now with Oklahoma, you know, in New Hampshire, what feels different about the party? Well, so, you know, a lot of folks will talk about and should talk about the role that independent voters played in the primary. But if you look at even the Republican Party itself, uh, you have a significantly higher number of self-identified moderate Republicans. Uh, if you actually poll on the question of abortion, you have a significant uh, number of Republicans who identify as pro-choice. Majority still identifies pro-life, but it's usually about a 60-40 issue. And uh, in the Republican Party, whereas in most states, even very blue states, you know, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, sometimes it's 80, 85 percent of Republicans identify as pro-life. Uh, so you do have a very different type of Republican voter in New Hampshire. Uh, it's it's largely a pretty well-educated state. It's a uh, state that has, uh, you know, pretty, pretty high income levels comparatively. And, and not only that, you also have a strong libertarian bent within the Republican Party. I mean, after all, we're the live free or die state. Uh, we take it pretty seriously. No income tax, no sales tax. We like our government to be small and out of the way. Uh, and so that impacts politics, not just at the local level, but certainly at the federal level, both in um, you know federal races, but also particularly in the New Hampshire Republican primary. You know, Matt, I kind of want to stay on something you just said there, because, uh, you know, Nikki Haley gave, you know, a concessionish speech where I like to call it uh, around 840 or so up there in New Hampshire. And you just mentioned it before that, you know, depending upon where the margin of victory kind of nets out here, that she does have a little bit of life and juice that could take her to South Carolina, whereas national media, maybe national convention would say, the math's not math in here because some of these other states coming up, Nevada, South Carolina, and Michigan in February, she's not projected to win. And she hasn't gotten any of the endorsements of some of the big people in South Carolina. So I'm curious, as you've been in New Hampshire, as you've been talking to voters, 
are you hearing the Nikki Haley message and the platform resonating? And do you truly think that that resignation or whatever the margin of victory nets out here, she can take it to somebody in South Carolina and say, look, I know I lost, but I only lost by this much. And that's why you should vote for me coming up in South Carolina. I do think so. I mean, and not only that, but, um, you know, folks get out of, of races because they run out of money. That's not going to be the issue for Nikki Haley. And in fact, her campaign would argue that, that part of the reason her numbers are not as competitive with Donald Trump's in these states is that they haven't spent money in, in states much past New Hampshire. You know, they actually were the number one spender in the state. Um, they put a ton of resources into the state, not just her campaign money, but also her super PAC stand for America. Americans for Prosperity that that supports her has a significant and robust and longstanding operation here in New Hampshire. Not only do they spend in the mailbox, on TV, on digital, but they had an entire uh, grassroots army that they mobilized for her to go door to door. And and it's one that's been cultivated over the course of the last decade. And so, uh, you know, what they would say is that they have not put those resources to use in, well, certainly Nevada. Nevada is going to be, you know, uh, kind of a sideshow. Donald Trump will win the caucus, which is where the delegates are chosen. Nikki Haley filed for the primary. So technically, they're not even going to be running against each other. So both of them will claim a win, but only Donald Trump will take delegates from Nevada. But really what comes down to South Carolina. And so, you know, her campaign announced they're doing a $4 million ad buy. And I believe they've wired the first couple million uh, into that already. And, and she goes there tomorrow night for a big rally. Uh, where one would expect she's going to you know, claim that she has a head of steam. Uh, I think it was really telling that they had Nikki Haley go out there and speak right around 8.30 or so, pretty early in the night, uh, in order to set the momentum and the message for her campaign. I think they recognized that the numbers were coming in early were very close. I mean, you know, at one point she was only down by about seven, eight points, which you know, a lot of folks would say you're still down. But as you and I know, and, and Nick, I know you know as well that, um, you know, expectations have to exceed reality in politics. And in this case, I'm sorry, reality, I'm sorry, reality has to exceed expectations in politics. In that case, it would have. But they had her out there early, uh, kind of claiming a moral victory here. And so uh, she'll set the tone. They'll claim that if they start spending money in South Carolina, Michigan, for example, which is before Super Tuesday, is another open primary state. And then a whole host of Super Tuesday states in March that she's going to get better known, better acquainted, and that her message will have resonance with voters in those states as well. Now, earlier when you were talking about New Hampshire politics you know, for the Republican Party, the person you describe as a New Hampshire Republican doesn't necessarily fall into the the MAGA Trump supporter that we tend to think of when we when we talk about national news, or at least the perception. You know, you obviously have worked alongside Governor Christie. Is there a concern now within the party that that Trump has such a hold on it that even in a state like New Hampshire with a well-educated populace, that as far as Republicans go, they'll still overwhelmingly lean toward him when, well, for for no other reason other than to sort of continue with sort of momentum at the national level? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I think the, the concern would be if Donald Trump becomes the nominee, I mean, look, he and his campaign are going to have their work cut out for them to reach out to these moderate Republicans, independent voters who are lean Republican, folks who may have been turned off by rhetoric or personality, that they have to win them back over somehow. Um, you know, some of them will fall in anyway. I mean, a lot of folks who voted for Nikki Haley, should Donald Trump become the nominee, they'll, they'll go and vote for him, right? Because we're in such a partisan environment. And, and so many folks kind of put on you know, their red jersey or their blue jersey. 
Um, but I think it does show that he's going to have some real outreach he's going to need to do. Um, you know, you saw him on election night in, in Iowa start trying to do that. He was much more uh, mellow. He was ma- extending an olive branch to both Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Uh, he was somewhat uh, conciliatory in his remarks, uh, very uncharacteristically. Um, of course, the next day he was back on the campaign trail and, you know, doing what he felt like he needed to do to win the primary. Um, but I do think it shows that he recognizes he's going to have to uh, extend an olive branch to a different part of the party in order to unite them. And, and what will be really telling that should he be the nominee is who he'll choose as his vice presidential nominee. I mean, I, I worked for his campaign in the general election of 2016. I remember when he chose Mike Pence, um, ended up being a smart political play. If you looked at polling back in the day, um, he was hitting his mark he needed with blue collar Democrats at that point and independents where Donald Trump was falling short against Hillary Clinton was actually evangelical voters who had overwhelmingly supported Ted Cruz who had not come to uh, comfort yet with voting with Donald Trump. And so choosing Mike Pence, using him as a high-profile surrogate, consistently won a lot of those voters over, and, and it actually pulled a broad coalition together that needed to win that election. He's going to have to look to do the same in probably a bit of a different sort of way uh, for, for this November. I mean, he certainly has evangelicals in the bank for his campaign right now. Uh, he'll have to reach out to suburban voters, uh, folks of color, and certainly uh, independent women as well. Matt, before we let you go, uh, I did want to, as the, as the president right now, as we're recording, is giving his speech, and he's got all the folks behind him, like uh, Senator Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, everybody's behind him. So the party's um, with Trump right now, but then there's also the AT, as I like to call it, after Trump, which is something Nikki Haley has talked about, and Governor Sununu has even talked about it on the trail for Nikki Haley. It's What do you want the next four, eight, 10, 12 years to look like after Donald Trump? So I couldn't think of anybody better to ask as a as a Republican insider, as somebody who's worked on some of these campaigns, including for the former president, for Governor Chris Christie. What does the party kind of look like after Donald Trump? If Nikki Haley, who was maybe more moderate leaning and could potentially beat Joe Biden in a national head to head matchup, according to polling, if she couldn't even win a state like New Hampshire, which you mentioned, 40 percent of the folks out there are undeclared or independent that could have voted and participated in this. And a lot of people came out for Donald Trump. What does the future of this party look like post Trump? Well, you know, I think there's some Republican consultants and insiders and business class that say, well, it should go back to the way it was. Well, that ain't going to happen, right? This is not going to be the party that nominated Mitt Romney in 2012. It's likely not going to be the party that nominated John McCain in 2008. Um, what it is going to be is some co- consortium, though, of, of that. Uh, is it going to be the party that looks at Trumpism without Trump? Does that exist? Um, I think one thing that that sometimes gets overlooked is that a lot of Republican voters, and I know this seems kind of strange to folks in the media and, and Democrats and you know some of the Beltway folks occasionally, there's a lot of Republican voters who are not really all that MAGA. They just happen to like Donald Trump. They like, you know, whether it's his personality or the policies, they just like the guy. And, um, you know, maybe it's because they were used to, to kind of supporting him and defending him for a number of years. Um, so I think a number of those voters would support potentially a Nikki Haley, certainly a Ron DeSantis type of uh, candidate in the future if Trump were not in the race. And I think they'd be very content with doing so. Um, but you certainly have a much more populist activist base that that has had a voice in Donald Trump. And I expect some of the voices that have been created in a lot of ways because of that, 
you know, success of Donald Trump are going to continue to be leaders, um, you know, for for, you know, different factions of the party, whether it's a J.D. Vance or potentially even a Marjorie Taylor Greene or maybe even Donald Trump Jr. himself. Uh, so, I, you know, it's going to be really telling uh, in 2028. It's it's tough to see exactly what a post-Trump party looks like without being post-Trump. Uh, but I, I imagine you're going to really see that come to a head at some point in 2028. I expect it to be a robust primary, and uh, it's going to be certainly a fun one to to be part of and watch, uh, because I think as much as you've seen reporters consistently bemoan how there isn't quite as much kinetic energy on the ground in New Hampshire, because candidly, you've got two candidates on one side and you know, kind of half a candidate on the Democratic side, the 2028 is going to be a wide open primary, and that's going to be where a lot of these battles are fought. Matt Mowers, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Nobody more plugged into the state of New Hampshire than you, my friend. Continue success and stay safe, buddy. Mike, Nick, thanks you so much and have a great night and uh, look forward to chatting soon. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Nick, today's episode is presented, as always, by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here. Tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk? You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, Often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. And all of this is available at freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee, but you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. Enter in the promo code, can we please get 20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today.
This episode is presented by the good folks over at Nerd Focus. New energy drink sponsor on the show. Nick, let me ask you a quick question. Do you lack focus and concentration, motivation? Do you need something to boost your stamina and strength? I do. You know, coffee coffee isn't enough, so I'm always looking for other options. Well, I got something for you, Nick, that's going to boost your stamina and strength. It's going to enhance your focus and concentration. We're going to ramp up your motivation. We're going to provide alertness and stimulation. We're going to even improve your mood, Nick, which a lot of people on this, on the comments are going to be happy with. I got the original Think Drink infused with powerful nootropics, performance-boosting nutrients. Click the link in our show notes right now to get a special offer on Nerd Focus Beverages for being a Can We Please Talk listener. Nerd Focus, there's a nerd in everyone. All right, our thank yous there to Matt Mowers. Like I mentioned, he's a former executive director of the New Hampshire Republican Party. He was an advisor to Governor Chris Christie, advisor uh, at the State Department. You, you heard him there talking about how he worked on the Trump campaign in 2016, um, president over at Valcor as well, too. You can go check them out, Valcor LLC. Um, that's good stuff there. Uh, again, more political analysis realm here, like Matt's plugged into the state. He's actually in the state right now. He was mentioning to us before he was at a local watering hole, I believe up there called the GOAT. So he was hanging out with some New Hampshire primary voters there. And it's just, it's. I, I think maybe, I know you're going to get into this, Nick, uh, and we're going to do our initial reactions, you and I, but like, maybe we invest too much into this because, you know, it's 22 delegates that are being awarded. Iowa was the same thing with 40 delegates, right? Trump won 20 of them and Nikki Haley got her six and DeSantis got eight. So like, um, maybe it's too much early stock, but it's also like, it's almost like when an NFL preseason game happens, right? It's like, that's football's back. So we got to cover it. Right. But we know it's just the first preseason game. And and uh, we really don't know, well, in this case, unlike the preseason analogy, we knew who was going to win this. And I, I've been saying this before, uh, before I turn to you for your reaction, I had mentioned this a bunch. It, it was everybody had their warships positioned in two spots. DeSantis took his warships to Iowa, where there's no water, and <laughs> Nikki Haley took her warships to New Hampshire. And it was real sad. And Chris Christie too. Chris Christie didn't even bother with Iowa. But once Christie dropped out, which was in essence, you know, about, I think about eight days ago or so, uh, and he didn't endorse Nikki Haley, which who knows if an endorsement means anything in, in politics, because DeSantis got uh, the governor of Iowa and, and the biggest evangelical leader's endorsement that netted him zero. And Nikki Haley got Governor Sununu's endorsement that netted her zero in essence, uh, in terms of a win here. But when I saw this, I said, if you can't win a state like this, which is more appealing to that centrist voice out there, it has a primary that has 40% of folks that are undecided, declared, unassigned, whatever they call it up there, a bunch of U words. And that 40%, you're hoping 25% come out for Nikki Haley out of the 287,000 or so registered Republicans. If you siphon off you know, first of all, you never get full turnout, but if you get somewhere near 60, 70% on what was a pretty nice day up there, not too cold, not freezing cold temperatures like it was in Iowa, uh, and you can get these uh, undecided, unassigned voters to come out in droves for you, maybe you can win this. And right now, like I said, they're still tallying votes. It's already been called by all the major news networks, but the projections are she's going to finish maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 points behind. And 
that's not that's not enough because that means you're about to go to redder states. I know Matt just mentioned that there was a, a way that uh, some of these other states are going to have primaries where similar to New Hampshire, you, you can get more of the centrist view, but you couldn't get it in New Hampshire. Why would you get it over there? Am I wrong, Nick? Am I overanalyzing it? What, what do you make of it all about the night? As we're going to play some sound too from uh, Trump's speech and Nikki Haley's speech in just a sec. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, when we talk to Matt about, you know, what makes up a Republican in New Hampshire, you know, I mean, he brought up the point that you know, there seems to be, as you were talking about, more of a moderate presence, uh, more of an independent presence, too. And that's still those folks are still leaning toward the former president. Um, you know, it calls in the question. I, I was telling you this earlier, you know. You know, we're seeing sort of a, we're seeing dribs and drabs these primaries, right? We begin in Iowa, we go to New Hampshire, then then Nevada, South Carolina, and, and like it's just sort of a slow trickle here. And it's an effort to try to build a narrative over the course of from now through September. And I think the narrative that we can cut to the chase now, you know, for the Democrats, Biden won as a write-in candidate. We figured he was going to, you know, we figured no candidate was going to hold, make any headway with voters, but a write-in candidate. I mean, he's up 40, 40, he's up 46 points right now as of this recording. Right. And the guy who was trying to go was Dean something. And, and even with all that money and even that effort, people still rolled up and said, nah, I'm just take my pencil and put in the guy who's currently in the white house. And on the side for Trump, it's kind of the same thing. It's, you know, I think New Hampshire Republicans, I think Republicans in the Northeast may like to try to see themselves as not necessarily like MAGA adjacent or not quite MAGA, but you're still voting for the MAGA candidate. Like we're, you know, we're seeing people that, you know, there's a coalition of those who sort of rallied around Nikki Haley. But in the end, I said, I think if she came within 15 points, that would that be a victory. And it looks like I may well be right. But even with that sort of coalition coming together, it's still not enough to cut into Trump's presence. And I like what you just said a moment ago. It gets it gets harder now going into South Carolina and states that are more firmly conservative. So I don't see I don't think she needs to drop out today or tomorrow. I don't see her making much headway. And in South Carolina, when she gets smoked, because I think she's going to do worse in South Carolina than she does in New Hampshire. Then I think the writing's on the wall. And what's interesting, though, is when you're the only candidate and there's no one to go after, to poke fun at, you know, what Trump tends to do, you're just kind of out there in the open with whatever you've got, you know, is the narrative around you. And the narrative, the narrative around Trump are these cases. It's one thing if you could keep pointing to another candidate and saying, look at this bum, you know, this person's whatever, blah, blah, blah. All you got left is to go after judges and attorneys and people who well likely could hit you with a gag order like that's been happening in New York recently. That's all he's got left. Meanwhile, you know, we're seeing a higher number for the Nasdaq and Democrats, you know, at least from the peripheral, actually are having a better week. And we're early into 2024, which I think many pundits argued that this was the one problem with the Trump momentum is that, you know, if if this gets hot too quickly how do you maintain momentum from now till november 5th well speaking of the trump momentum let's hear from both candidates as uh, matt was alluding to it there nikki haley kind of came on early in the night i don't know what the strategy was behind that i have a feeling that it was hey we're not going to win deep people think i'm going to drop let me hit them with a speech of how not only am i not going to drop 
but I can get my attacks off in a row. To the former president and look towards South Carolina, we'll hear from her, but let's first hear from the former president who won on the night. But she ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last last week we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winability, who's going to win. And I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. With Donald Trump, Republicans have lost almost every competitive election. We lost the Senate. We lost the House. We lost the White House. We lost in 2018. We lost in 2020. And we lost in 2022. The worst kept secret in politics is how badly the Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. All right, Nick, you're a Democrat. The bad, the worst kept secret is that you want to run against Donald Trump. I Look, I, you were saying this before about that they're still voting for the MAGA candidate, right? Um, if I can play contrarian here, um, 75 million people voted for that guy. So, and as we all know, as Matt knows as well, um, five states really decided this and the margins were razor thin in a few of them, I can't get into election integrity and all that stuff. That's a different show. You can go listen to those folks down the street. So what do you make of not only what the former president said there as he's trying to get Nikki Haley to kind of concede a little bit, giving her some jabs and then her jab back at him about, hey, this is all factual. This guy has lost us 2018, 2020, 2022, and he's going to lose us uh, even further if if he gets to a general election with 2024 and Joe Biden. I mean, I think that in general, overall, the idea that, you know, Democrats would rather take on Trump than Haley isn't actually, I don't think it's actually false. I think Haley actually had, you know, head to head with Joe Biden, I think pulls enough moderate voters to, I think, potentially overtake him. It comes down, as you said, about those five states, you know, I don't know if Haley pulls over, pulls ahead of him in you know, Michigan, Pennsylvania. I still think, you know, I think is still now Biden country for the most part. Um, but Ohio really becomes a toss up. I think it's still a toss up between Trump and Biden anyway. And I, if I were a betting person, and I am, I would think he, he'll go to Trump, uh, considering that, you know, J.D. Vance, you know, author turned politician, uh, you know, won the state as a senator. Um, but. I mean, those uh, those previous elections and you and I've talked about, you know, the role that the abortion issue has taken on with some of the statewide elections recently. I don't know if it's necessarily that people are going against Trump in some of these elections as they're going against, you know, the people in their, you know, their respective state. I mean, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania beat Dr. Oz. If the Republicans had actually cared about, you know, Pennsylvania and put up a, co- a competent candidate. Maybe that race doesn't work out the way it does, although I think Fetterman capitalized on a populist agenda. 
you know, Bob, you know, Bob Casey is the other, you know, Pennsylvania Democrat that's running or that's, you know, the senator that's running for reelection this year. I'm very curious if the Republicans are going to put up a serious candidate because they didn't in 2022. You can look up and down the ticket to, or up and down these states to see you know, who these actual candidates are. I think the thing about Trump is it's a little like Apple with Steve Jobs, where it's a cult of personality. But once that person disappears, you're not left with a whole lot. No disrespect to Tim Cook, but like the magic is gone at Apple. MAGA has a very similar problem when Donald Trump isn't the face of the party. Because in Pennsylvania, as I mentioned before, you look at um, you know, Bob Mastriano. I think his first name was Bob. I don't know. Don't care. Oh, Doug, 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 thank you. Doug was doing a Trump impression and a bad one and got and just got beat <laughs> by a guy who wears a black hoodie, even like in the Senate, which drives you and I crazy. So I don't think anyone could be able to replicate that. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, you know, probably will likely maintain in her you know house seat but you know lauren bobert has already jumped over to a different district in colorado like doug frisch i think who's you know basically you know trying to now um you know basically overtake that seat and may likely do so i mean new york obviously george santos you know stepped down like there is some shakeup happening at state levels that is that the trump effect i don't know um i think it's just that republicans run on bad policies and no policies whatsoever so you know i think haley's being a little overly simplistic but at the same time, I really do believe that, yeah, if you won the nomination, I think it's harder. I mean, Biden's already going to cut it close against Trump, but I think he flat out loses if Nikki Haley got the nomination. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and also, uh, just to push back a smidge on the policy stuff, I think there was some polling, exit polling uh, in Iowa as well as in New Hampshire. The Iowa stuff was more about foreign policy, trusting and Nikki Haley was kind of leading in that again because of her UN ambassadorship and and some of the stuff she did at the UN. I I was texting with a primary voter, a Republican primary voter, recently in another state, and I said, uh, "We go to sleep and we wake up the next morning. Nikki Haley's president. Are you losing sleep over that?" And he goes, "No." I go, "You go to sleep. You wake up the next morning and Kamala Harris is president. Are you losing sleep over that?" He goes, "No." I think the I think there are people that are beyond. Um, you know, the president, like the president's not the be all end all, like there's other parts of this government chain. And I think all those people would adhere to that. So when, what I, my counter to him was, I agree with you. My issue is it's not so much the former president in Trump. It's the people he brings along with him that I don't think adhere to that for, you know, that government, you know, being one cohesive three branch type thing. I think that there are, he brings people like Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon and some of these folks that uh don't care for people like you and i nick uh let's you know put it mildly so well we leave it there uh our thank yous again to matt Maurers. that was great because you know we really got insight into the state as always for our show you want to check out the video portions of our interviews with anybody we've had on this show head over to our youtube channel type in can we please talk podcast we should pop right up audio podcast platforms you know by now apple spotify google shout out to everybody that listens to us on good pods and youtube music shout out to Acast, our hosting platform we can't do it without them can't do it without each and every one of you that listens into this program as always i'm mike leon i'm gonna get, try to get a cup of coffee because i'm trying to catch mike between the hours of one and five today like all you loyal listeners for and watchers of the show should try to do with mike being on cnn this morning this morning all right that's right it's, it's gonna be like lionel richie on the night shift man all right we'll see everybody next time